0: Welcome to the Naples Community Church Podcast with Pastor Kurt Anderson. Thank you for joining us today. We hope you find this sermon inspires you, builds your faith, and gives you perspective to see God moving in your life. We trust God has great things in store for you. Enjoy today's message. Our text this morning, once again based on the on the little book by Admiral William McRaven, called Make Your Bed, is on the fact that life isn't fair. Life isn't fair. And life wasn't fair to Elijah. He did everything right, and still everything went wrong. Hear the word of God as it comes to us from 1 Kings. Age, I hate it. <laughs> the Lord said to Elijah, "What are you doing here?" Elijah replied, "I have zealously served the Lord God Almighty, but the people of Israel have broke broken their covenant with you, torn down your altars, and killed every one of your prophets. I'm the only one left." now they're trying to kill me too go out and stand before me on the mountain the Lord said to him and as Elijah stood there the Lord passed by and a mighty windstorm hit the mountain it was such a terrible blast that the rocks were torn loose But the Lord was not in the wind After, after the wind there was an earthquake but the Lord was not in the earthquake and after the earthquake there was a fire but the Lord was not in the fire After the fire, there was a still, small voice. When Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And a voice said, what are you doing here, Elijah? He replied again, I have zealously served the Lord God Almighty, but the people of Israel have broken their covenant with you torn down your altars and killed every one of your prophets. I am the only one left. And now they're trying to kill me too. And the Lord said to him, Go back the same way you came and travel to the wilderness of Damascus. When you arrive there, anoint Hazael to be king of Aram. Then anoint Yehu, son of Nimshi, to be king of Israel. And anoint Elisha, son of Jephthah, to be from the town of Abel-Meholah, to replace you as my prophet. Anyone who escapes Hazael will be killed by Yehu, and those who escape Yehu will be be killed by Elisha. Yet, I will preserve 7,000 others in Israel who have never bowed to Baal or kissed him. God add his understanding to this hearing of his word. So as a 13-year-old, as I've shared with you before, I believe, I um, asked Dad if I could borrow his car keys so I could listen to the radio while I watched watched his car for him. He thought that was a good deal. But I took the keys up to the bike shop and had a key made to his car. (laughs) Mom and Dad were out playing bridge every Friday night, so I called my buddy, Theo, and we drove around the city of Riverside every Friday night. It's 13. I was tall, so I could get away with it. So I learned to drive early. I was so proud of myself, and I loved it. I remember one one night we ran out of gas, and Theo and I pushed the car home about a mile. It's all bar- are there any kids? No kids here. But um, because of that, my dad somehow knew that I was good enough to drive I could drive and then when I was 15 of course I've been driving for two years at this point (laughs) when I was 15 dad took me fishing we went down to San Diego and went out on a on a boat and I could not believe I think I was the only one on that on that boat that didn't catch a thing except being very sick I caught seasickness and I was so disturbed, I didn't think that being on a boat would have such a deleterious effect on me. I thought, well, I can I can handle anything, you know, and and I got so sick. I didn't throw up, but I, I was just miserable sick. And it struck me as I was going through this that well there was this question why why was I so disoriented remember standing looking out on the horizon and the horizon wasn't moving but the boat was moving everything was moving and and then when we were done and I walked on dry land again I still felt that pitching ship so they're both reality but I became disoriented because of this new reality of being on a ship on a boat that rocked and and rolled the whole time well dad was fine but he was sleepy we had to get up at about five in the morning to get down there so he asked me to drive home and I was so happy dad slept and I drove from San Diego up to Riverside about a hundred miles and I was so proud of myself but I thought about the fact that what what is going on in the world when all it takes is for me to be on a on a boat and be completely disoriented what about my view of reality Why why was I viewing things as I was seeing them? so the Life on dry land was dramatically different from life on a ship or on a small boat. And so it was a, a bit of a paradigm shift for me. Looking at life in a, in a different way through different eyes and beginning to have a great admiration for those who lived out on the water. And who braved those, that, that other world. And I was so glad to be on, on dry ground. But you know, those two realities were in my mind in conflict with one another. And it doesn't take long to live this life till we realize that life is not what we really expect it to be. Things happen along the way where. It isn't what we wanted, it wasn't, isn't what we expected, It is isn't what we worked for. Life isn't fair, and yet we think it should be. We become disoriented when things happen to us that we don't believe should happen, but they do. And what is this other world that we've entered into? But rather than being on the dry ground of life being fair and just and right and everything else, we're on the, on the, the deck of a ship where everything is being tossed around and we don't know what to expect or how to, how to navigate this understanding of life. Elijah had done everything right. He was called by God To tell Ahab and Jezebel, this evil king and queen, tell Ahab and Jezebel that it won't rain again until he says so. And so he told them this and then he ran because they were from that point on trying to kill him. He went to a a little arroyo, a little canyon outside of, on the far side of of the Jordan River. And there he, he stayed until... Until God told, told him to go someplace else and God fed him with the ravens. But then he told Elijah to go to the coast and there he would find a needy woman, the woman of Zarephath. And there he found her and her son was dying and, and he took care of this woman. He promised her that he would take care of her. The son died and through the power of God that son was raised up again resuscitated by the prayer and by the effort of Elijah. And then Elijah went and he had this magnificent, huge contest on Mount Carmel where all the prophets of Asherah and all the prophets of Baal showed up and it was going to be this contest between their gods, their dumb fertility gods, small g, and the one true God. And they set, up a, they set up an altar, they, they put a bull on it, and, and they dance and they cut themselves and they try to get their gods, and their gods were all about rain and they were all about thunder and lightning, their gods to strike that and, and set it afire, to consume the sacrifice. Nothing happens. And Elijah steps up, says, step aside and he prays and God sends fire to the altar and it licks up all the water and it destroys everything that was prepared there and from that point he leaves he runs they still time still trying to kill him and he he goes from there and his servants are with him but he leaves his servants and he realizes because they're all trying to kill him still with all of the success that he has had doing everything right, doing everything according to God's will nothing has changed doing everything right still everything was as it had been and Elijah was completely disoriented and he goes south. He goes into the desert. He lays down under a little shrub. And there he wants to die. He's so disoriented, so discouraged. He is in despair. And he calls out to God, oh, take my life. I'm done. But Elijah perhaps didn't acknowledge was for him to do the right thing no matter the consequences was the right thing for him to do and life isn't fair it doesn't go the way we expect the Old Testament covenantal theology is if you do this God will do that if you do all these things right then God will bless you but the story of the scriptures is that one after another does things right, and then they find themselves suffering. Or all these others are doing things wrong, and they're succeeding, and they're being blessed. And what is this? But life isn't fair. William McRaven writes about his SEAL training, and this one really tough SEAL trainer who... um, tells him that he has to, on one cold Coronado morning, he has to make himself a sugar cookie. And what that means is that he has to get himself wet in the water and then come out on the beach and cover himself with sand. Got to roll around in the sand, throw sand over his head, become what they call a sugar cookie. And McRaven was trying to figure out why, why do I have to do this? And he finally said something to his to his uh, drill instructor, Moki Martin, why? He said because you're gonna learn, you have gotta learn sooner or later life isn't fair. He didn't fail, but he had to become a sugar cookie anyway. And he tells a story how Moki, who had been through all kinds of very dangerous missions in Vietnam, one after another, his life was threatened and he had been injured. And and going through all that he went through, one Saturday was riding on his bike. He was a triathlete and he was riding hard and fast, and he collided with another biker coming the other way, a uh, head on. The other guy got up and was fine. Mokey ended up paralyzed from the waist down. He had done nothing wrong. He had done everything right. And so why? And so Martin, Moki Martin, became for William McRaven an example. And McRaven says, and this is a word for our time. It's easy to blame your lot in life on some outside force, to stop trying because you believe fate is against you. It's easy to think that where you were raised, how your parents treated you, or what school you went to all determines your future. Nothing could be further from the truth. The common people and the great men and women are all defined by how they deal with life's unfairness. Helen Keller, Nelson Mandela, Stephen Hawking, Malala Yousafzai, and Moki Martin. Sometimes, no matter how, how hard you try, no matter how good you are, you still end up as a sugar cookie. Don't complain. Don't blame it on your misfortune. Stand tall. Look to the future and move on. There's not a morning where I'm not here on the sidewalk greeting you all as you come in, that I don't hear of some grave unfairness that has afflicted all of us. Where life is not fair, And at different times, it inflicts each of us. And we are disoriented by the unfairness of life. All of a sudden, life is pitching back and forth as if we're on a ship at sea in the midst of a storm. And we're disoriented. And we can't help but ask why. And I can't help but ask why. and yet we do life isn't fair but neither is grace God gives us his grace even though we don't deserve it God loves us even though we violate everything about his love God extends to us his mercy even though the We do not deserve it. God doesn't see that there is an evening of the score. He loves us. He extends to us His mercy. And that's what gives us the strength to move on, to live more, to live for Him, and to be a people that lives by faith, not by sight a people that lives with the power of grace at work within us, not by some false understanding of the nature of the world where everything is supposed to be the way we expect it to be. It isn't, and it won't be. But the the dry ground upon which we will all walk is the grace and the mercy of our God who ultimately makes all things, makes all things correct, all things right, and gives us that solid ground on which to walk. This is tough. When I hear your stories, when I hear what you've gone through or what you go through or what you're going through, I want life to be fair. Let's bow together and pray. So Lord, we have no explanations. We have no way of really answering that most difficult question of why. But not just were we, but your son was born into a why would God world. And so we, rather than knowing, rather than understanding, we we trust. We trust, O Lord, in your mercy and your grace. And we ask that for this life, that that might be enough. For it is enough for you. Let it be enough for us. We ask this in Jesus' name. If you enjoyed today's podcast, there are a few things you can do. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. For more information, you can visit us online at www.naplescommunitychurch.org. If you happen to be visiting Naples, please drop in for our Sunday service at 10 a.m. We'd love to meet you. Thanks again for joining us. Have a fabulous day.